Hudkins. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Troy Hudkins, and this is Lessons for Life podcast. And today I have a guest, Carrie Greenlee, joining us. Good friend from a long time, cousin, relation. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, Troy. Um, I hope you're, you're feeling the same. Things are going well. Couldn't be better. Carrie, to start with, who is Carrie Green? Well, um, uh, I'm I'm now in my sixties, uh, so I'm a, a, a I'm a kid who grew up in a small town and uh, wanted to experience life as much as I could. And uh, uh, as I as I grew and, and, and went through school. I began to uh, I began to find ways to 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 get out and and you know see what life has to offer. So uh, took a bit of a took a bit of a meandering route to get there. Uh, Carrie Greenlee's been uh, been married three times. Uh, he's lived in uh, nine different cities in Canada. Traveled extensively. Uh, adopted two children, one from China, one from Vietnam. Um, and uh, just thoroughly enjoyed life so far. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who who do you think in your life was your biggest uh, influence growing up? Well, I, I wouldn't say uh, growing up. I, uh, uh, the biggest influence I had uh, that I would credit in my life was a gentleman I met uh, in my in my late thirties. Um, I, uh, and I, I was working at a radio station in, uh, in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, I had owned, uh, I've owned three businesses, um, in my career and I had, I had bought a, uh, I bought a bar restaurant, um, thinking at 33, I had it all figured out. And at 36 years old, I realized that that wasn't for me. And uh, so the general manager of that radio station, uh, his name was Wolfgang von Reisfeld. And Wolf and I just hit it off. And he was, he, he's a born leader and a born mentor. I was fortunate enough that he took time and, and you know, saw, saw something in me. And I learned so much from him. And uh, so he was probably the biggest influence in my life. And I went from, uh, just to give the people watching this, uh, I, I took the lessons he taught me and combined with some other things that I'd learned from reading. And um, within five or six years after meeting him, my financial situation had improved so much i i was i i was making well over six figures a year and uh you know by the by the time i was 40 years old that's awesome that's awesome did he have uh did he have more influence on your professional life or your uh your personal life or like both your businesses uh, not so much my businesses. Uh, uh, he, he had a tremendous effect on, on, on both my, my personal and my professional life. 
his big thing, which I adopted, was was basically to sum it up in one word is was the Japanese word kaizen, which is you try to improve every day. So he would want you to improve both professionally and personally. And so uh, if you went in, he just had a, a real knack of uh, if you're managing. You know, they, they they tell you that, you know, know when to lead, know when to step back, and know when to get out of the way. So knowing when to get out of the way means, means if you come to me with a question, I throw it back at you to let you figure it out because I know that you can't. Like lots of, lots of leaders or managers or parents will try to figure things out. And so that way you develop yourself. But there are times when you have to lead somebody and say, okay, here's how you do it. But there's other times when you just ask some questions and get them to discover how to do it. And he was a master at that. Nice. Still is. We're still very good friends, by the way. Nice. Right on. Well, it's kind of like your kids come to you and ask you for your advice and they don't really want your advice. They want you to give them some extra tools so they can figure out what they're wanting. That, yeah, lots of times when kids come to you, they will ask you for, uh, if they ask you for advice, they're asking you for one validation. You know, dad, I'm doing this. What do you think? They want you to validate it. Right. Two, they're looking for praise. Yep. And three, and, and, and three they actually do want an answer. Now, probably the first two are 90% of the time and the last one is 10% of the time. Right. So lots of times, you know, like with, with kids, if, 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 and we all make mistakes, I made plenty of them. If, if we can figure that out, then, you know, you, your kids, you, you have to know when to step back from your kids because any parent knows the hardest thing is to step back and let them struggle. Oh yeah. Because if yeah. they don't struggle, they never figure it out. Right. You have to you have to fail to make to get to learn. Right? Absolutely. And and that was another thing that I learned from a few people. Um, you know, you have to look at lots of people will look at failure and they'll say, Oh, I didn't like that feeling. I'm ne I'm never gonna try that again. Well right. Right. you need to you you need to fail because you're exactly right. If you fail, that's just another thing that didn't work until you find the thing that does work. Right. And as long as you learn from your mistakes, uh, one of the things that Wolf taught me, you know, once is a mistake, twice is a habit. Right. So if you don't learn from your mistake the first time, and you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and we know what Einstein said about that, you know, then it becomes a habit, you know. By right. the way, there's a great book, if somebody's watching this, called The Power of Habit by Charles Durig, one of the best books I've ever read. Nice. Nice. Yeah, there's a, a quote that, um, that, I can't remember who it was, Zig Ziglar maybe, that said if you – if you don't change what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Absolutely. That, that is, that, that's a complete truth. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it's Zig Ziglar. Forgive me if I'm wrong, yeah. but uh, that, there's a quote out there similar to that, that, that talks about that. 
Well, here, um, here's the rule about quotes very quickly for anybody that's watching. The first time, if you're up in front of an audience, and I've done this because I've spoken to audiences, the first thing you do is you say, you say, I'll say, Zig Ziglar said, and I quote him. Then the next time you use the quote, you say, this is an anonymous quote. And then the third time you say, here's what I say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then you're not <laughs> digging yourself in the hole. Absolutely. So sorry, you were um, going to ask something. So with Wolf, um, did he, you met him at your radio station in Hamilton. Yes, uh, I was about, uh, sorry, go ahead. Did, did you, like, did you, you met him there and that's where you learned from him? Or did you just kind of grow into that? No, that's where I learned from him. So let me back up. Uh, that was probably about uh, about eight years into my career. Um, I started, uh, to give you a quick synopsis, for those who have said I've worked in lots of places, I started uh, in a very small town in Southern Alberta with my radio career. Uh, from there, uh, I had gone to college. Um, uh, from there, I I then went, I moved to uh, Lethbridge, Alberta, and was there for about three years. I was doing extremely well, but always wanted, I, I wanted to to work in, in, in larger cities. And, and my goal was to work in either Toronto or Vancouver, because those were the two largest markets in the country. And uh, so in, in, uh, in right around 1980, I, I had a call um, from Toronto and I picked up my wife at the time and at 27 years old, I moved from Lethbridge, Alberta and rented a condo in downtown Toronto, like two blocks from, the, from, from Blur and Young for anybody that's been in Toronto, which was the, 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 is, is considered the center of Toronto. Well, a little bit of a culture shock. And uh, uh, when I was there, then that job didn't materialize. So I wound up going to uh, the city of Brantford, Ontario, which was about an hour, hour and a half west of Toronto. And uh, I, was all, I was on the air at that time. And uh, um, I, then my my, my, my first of my three marriages fell apart. This one is, I'm in for life, but <laughs> the first. And, and uh, so I, uh, I then, uh, so in Brantford, here I'm flat broke. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on the air. I'm making a pittance of money. People on air, unless you're the morning man, don't make a lot of money in broadcasting. And uh, I was offered a job to to be a, a disc jockey. I was in the news department, but I could I, I could spin tunes in a in a bar on Saturday nights and get paid cash, forty bucks. That time, that was a lot of money. That's back and that's well, that's it wasn't big, but that's back about nineteen eighty nine. Uh, no, but no, sorry, about nineteen eighty three, eighty two. So. I, uh, you know, I said to my, my guy at the time, I said, uh, uh, my, my news director, I said, can I get Saturday nights off? Because I was working on, uh, I was working the Saturday night shift and he came back to me and said, well, Carrie can't do it. And I thought to myself, okay, I am making, uh, 
I don't know what it was, $1,100 a month or something, you know, like barely above party. And and uh, I was getting tired of craft dinner. And um, the second thing was, uh, the, the, the second thing was I thought, you know what, you're, 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 you're 28 and a half, 29 years old. You don't want to be 45 and be an old disc jockey, an old newsman in a small market because you, you, you've got zero skills. So I thought, oh, what should I do? And I had paid my way through college selling clothes. And I, uh, I, I thought, you know what, I'll try sales. So I put a suit on. I went down to uh, the sales manager and I'd been told very early on in my career I should be in sales. And I thought, I, you know, I, no, 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 I'm the, I'm the next Wolfman Jack. You know, I'm going <laughs> to. And, uh, and, and went down and so the guy hired me. And then I never, ever, I never looked back. And so uh, I was in Brantford. I then, I, I, I then, uh, I was doing extremely well. Um, I bought myself a boat, and I was boating on Lake Erie, and I was driving an IROC Z, and 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 I bought a, a building with five apartments in it. So I'm doing pretty good. So I'm, I'm about 32, 33. I'm, I'm, I've got a, I'm thinking, oh, you know, you're pretty smart, which. That's your first mistake, right? And so um, I'm walking through a, a, a mall in Brantford one day, and, and my contact at the mall, which I looked after, said, hey, we just closed this restaurant uh, for non-payment. We'll sell it to you. And I'd always wanted to own a bar because I was DJing in them. So they well, I DJed bars. I could do this. So I bought the bar. Well, three years later, Troy, I was working like 14, 15 hours a day. I was mopping floors at 2 a.m. because I couldn't afford to pay anybody to do it. I thought, this isn't for me. You know, like, sounds really good on the outside. But listen, when people say, I want to own my own business because I want to work for myself. No, no, no. You're working for the, the utility company. You're working for the tax man. You're, you're working for the electric guy. You're working for the food guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, so I got back into, I got back. Uh, so uh, um, I got rid of the bar. And... Uh, uh, they were looking for, I heard that uh, uh, CKOC Radio in Hamilton was looking for uh, a salesperson. So I, I phoned and they said, here's the guy to talk to who was the general manager. So I didn't, uh, so I called the, I called the top, the general manager rather than the sales manager. And that's how I met Wolf. He was a GM. Okay. And he came to the sales manager and said, here, you should talk to this guy. And Oh, I got, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I was hired and uh, I was there for about a year. So uh, that was about halfway through, um, well, less than halfway through. And while I was there, things were doing pretty good. And uh, um, I was then, I, some of the guys I'd worked with, I was then offered a position in Toronto, which I'd always wanted to go to. But also there was another position in Kitchener-Waterloo. And the radio station in Kitchener-Waterloo, whom I had tried to talk to about three years before, was dominant in the market. And for those of you who don't know Southern Ontario, Kitchener-Waterloo is probably one of the most progressive cities in Canada. Very, very hardworking people. Uh, not that there isn't in, in other cities, but just it's just progressive. They just... And the, and the stations, the two radio stations there were very, uh, uh, were the top 
the top two stations. There was four stations here, the top two stations. And the country station also carried the Toronto Blue Jays. And this was right around 1991. So the, the Jays were winning, which meant that I could sell the Jays. Plus, you know, because we had an affiliation, suddenly, you know, I mean, I had gone to Jays games, but suddenly I had a real in to tickets. And I've always been a sports fan. So hello. And then we were going to pick up the Leafs, which um, don't, don't, don't shut off the podcast, but I'm an old Leafs fan. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, oh, you know, so I decided to go there instead of to the station in Toronto. And uh, um, that's where like things took off. And at the same time, Troy, I was doing different things, things I picked up from Wolf. And then I also used to see speakers every week. <clears throat> There was a, there was a, at that time, uh, a, 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 an incentive, I guess, um, called the power within. So you could join and go to see people like Robin Sharma and Brian Tracy and Jim Rowan and like Zig Ziegler, all of these, all of these like, like multi-millionaires, you know, I went and saw Nito Cobain, who was a multi-billionaire and they would tell you, you know, how they did things. And, uh, you know, so I learned different things from them. And I learned, uh, Brian Tracy said, if you read one book every month, that might be 10 minutes a day. Do you think you'd be smarter in one year than you are today? And I thought, well, obviously. Yeah. And then, and then he said, uh, and then he said, you know, what you are making right now is what you think you're worth. So I, I was doing pretty good. And I saw Jim Rohn shortly after that. And Jim Rohn said, and I'll never forget this line toward Jim Rohn said, listen, you know, I've done pretty well in life. I'm, I, I'm, I have a few million dollars. But he said, do you know what we do? He said, my millionaire and I buddies every once in a while, we go see a billionaire. Because the billionaire says to us, hey, listen, you're doing okay, but. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I thought, okay. So anyway, so back to Brian Tracy. He said, write down on a piece of paper what you feel you're worth a year, what you feel you should make a year. So I thought about it, and I, I wrote down $100,000. I think that was in about 94. And that year... My T4, well, I'll share it with you. My T4 said about 108 grand. Nice. That was a lot of money then. Yeah. And I'm, I don't say that to say, hey, look at me. I mean, I was a kid who grew up in a small town with, you know, with a father who, who, who a stepdad who, you know, really enjoyed his beer, you know, and a mom who had, you know, five kids, six counting him, you know, so like I, that, that to me that was that, that was pretty big stuff so anyway you'd ask about wolf so to get back there so um rogers that rogers purchased those radio stations that's when i went to work for rogers communications which is an amazing company by the way and uh, they had bought a company called mclean hunter which was a 125 year old company in, in the country and uh when they did that they, they changed general managers. So um, 
just before that, McLean Hunter was still there, and McLean Hunter had changed the GM. I'm sorry, and so I went to the president of 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 McLean Hunter Radio. We were talking, and and he said, I said. I don't know why you're taking so long to hire a general manager when the best GM in Canada is just down the road in Hamilton and he's available. And he said to me, why do you think he's available? I said, well, because the stations in Hamilton had just been bought and the guy that bought them was a hands-on guy. So I said, if you're a hands-on guy, you don't need a GM. And so a week later, the president, his name was Hal Blackenar, Hal introduced Wolf as a new general manager at Kitchener. So Wolf and I laugh about this. So I went up to him and I, like he had, he'd been talking to him for three months, I guess they were negotiating. And I just went up there and said, look, I recommend you for this job. I said, don't, don't disappoint me. You know, so we, we laugh about that. But then he mentored me there as well. Nice. And, and uh, just to carry it a little bit further and then please ask another question. So, I was doing really well in Kitchener and I, I was enjoying the city and I had, uh, we flew to China, which is another story you can ask me about, uh, with my, my second wife and we adopted uh, uh, an eight month old uh, orphan from uh, an orphanage uh, in Yangzhou, China. Uh, we then flew to Vietnam uh, a year later and adopted a, a five month old uh, orphan from, from an orphanage in Vietnam. And, uh, and uh, in the meantime, Wolf was offered a position in Vancouver uh, as, as the, uh, there, was, there was four radio stations out there and they needed somebody that could oversee it all. And so to speed this up a little bit, I'm at my desk one day and he calls me and says, uh, Greenlee, he said, uh, I've got a job out here with your name on it. And so I went, to my my wife at the time and she said she was from Bradford Ontario and she said oh I, you know we're pretty comfortable here and I said yeah but life ain't about comfort so I said what do you want to do and she said well you know I'm a little excited I said okay well I said have you ever been to Vancouver she said no I said well I have let's go so they flew us out checked out the market I interviewed for the job got it and uh, that was my first management position Oh, right on. Things grew. Yeah, things things grew from there. And that was actually the Fraser Valley outside of Vancouver. I lived in Abbotsford for a few years. Okay. I moved from Abbotsford to White Rock because I then got, I, I was trans, in, transferred into Vancouver and I became uh, the, uh, the general sales manager at a radio station called News 1130 in Vancouver, who people out there know very, very well. And, uh, and we were becoming dominant in the market. And then there was a few other changes. I went to another, but we'll get, we'll get back to that in a minute. So uh, anything nice. tweak your mind you want to ask about? Yeah. So, so back to Wolf again for a minute. So sure. when, yeah, absolutely. When, you, when you went to uh, Hamilton, he basically went to the, the guys there and said, Hey, you need to look at this guy. So yes. How, how long before that did you know Wolf? And like, how did, how did he know to grab you and throw you in there? Well, I phoned him. Um, I didn't know. I phoned him and, and, and I, I just explained, I said, I explained who I was. And, and when you're making a call to anybody, 
Uh, I always say to the people, salespeople that I've, I've, I've trained, have a VBR, a valid business reason to call. Like, and be prepared. So many people make, you know, especially career calls or a few things that, or, or sales calls, and they're unprepared. You need to be prepared. And, and, and if you have the same spiel that 20 other guys do, and I'm sure he'd gotten calls as did the sales manager. So I just, I called him and I, I, I explained who I was. And I said, the purpose of my call is that I, I understand you're looking for salespeople. I have, you know, I have about six or seven years sales experience in the radio station. And I also owned a business for three years and just closed, then closed. I just, I just left that business. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to re-enter radio. And by the way, you know, I mean, I, I managed, you know, 35 or 40 people in, in, in my restaurant. Plus, you know, please feel free to contact my former employer. I was, I was one of the top salespeople. And uh, I'm the easiest guy to manage in the world because I'm low maintenance. I said, I, you know, I said, just give me an opportunity. I said, you don't have to give me a guarantee. You know, just give me, uh, uh, you know, you can pay me straight commission right off the bat, which most radio salespeople do. And by the way, I think the whole world should be on commission because if they are, they work twice as hard. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and so that's when he went out to his sales manager and said, listen, this guy just gave me a call. I think you should give him a call. Okay. So he did. I went in and spoke to the, to the sales manager and the sales manager and I got along really, really well. And, uh, and so he hired me and sometimes you know troy good things come your way and people always say oh i wish and so my very first day at ckoc my very first day the sales manager came to me and said carrie um there's a guy phoned in to ask about advertising he said um i'm going to come along with you because i i'd just like to see you now i hadn't sold for three years i said okay so I go down with my sales manager and we meet this guy and listen, it was more luck than anything. So I, I talked to the guy and he says, look, he says, I have a sale next week and I, I, I really need to, to promote the sale. What would you suggest? I said, and I knew the, the, I knew the basics. I said, well, here's, here's what you need to do. And, and, uh, and if you want to be successful, you need to saturate, which means you run about 10 commercials a day. And I said, look, we have a bit of a special on right now, so I can do this and this and this for you. And he said, excellent. He said, where do I sign? I said, well, here, right here. And, and, and I said, uh, uh, you know, I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll set everything up. And, and, and we were there maybe 22 minutes. And because uh, I, I, Harry said, we got out there, he says, and, and he was kind of standing over in the corner you know, not, he wasn't really listening. He was, he was, he was looking at, it was in the guy's store. So I walked out of there and said, well, he said, what's, what's the, what's the prognosis? And I said, oh, you know, I got an order for 3000 bucks. And it was in the middle of a recession and Harry almost had a heart attack. So on the way back to the station, he said, listen, I, I want you to know we're going to do everything we can to keep you. Like, so, but boy, it, it wasn't that I was great. It, I was in the right place at the right time. And, and lots of times, sales were there. Yeah. But in 
I shouldn't say but, because uh, everything you said, you say but, and if you're watching this, every, if, if you hear somebody say but, everything they said before the word but is irrelevant. So what had happened was, was that, that, that uh, if you prepare yourself, then you're in the right place at the right time. Right. But if you never go out, if you never get in front of people, it's never going to happen. Well, in any time those opportunities are there, you have to open the door, right? Well, you know, there's a, there's another old saying. You know, opportunity comes very uh, comes dressed in coveralls and disguised as work. Right. Exactly. You know. Exactly. A lot of times you got to create your own opportunities. Absolutely. So let's. You mentioned that you hadn't sold for three years. So let's just touch on that for one second. Sure. So when you bought your bar then, did you get out of radio and your bar was... Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was, was full-time bar, full-time yeah. 16 hours a day, no radio. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, which was a mistake, by the way. Did you spin records? No, no, owning the bar wasn't a mistake. I learned more in those three years than I would have learned in, in, in university and anywhere. Sure. I, learned, I learned 10 years experience in three years because, and everybody in Canada should own a business because when you're the guy or you're the lady, you're, who the, is, you're, 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 you're the one cutting the checks, all the responsibilities on you, boy, you learn a lot and you learn quickly. Yeah. And if you don't learn, you die because business is unforgiving. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, in hindsight, let's get this for anybody watching. Um, when I bought the bar, I uh, I didn't know anything about running a restaurant or running a bar. And there was a guy who had been uh, a manager, a general manager of another uh, uh, bar in the city who had a bit of a falling out with the owner. But he really knew his stuff. <clears throat> So I was going to hire him as my manager and Red Lobster came to him and they could offer him benefits and everything else. So obviously he went there. What, what I should have done, are you still there? Yep, yep. Okay, yeah, the screen just went dark here. Oh, there. Okay, so, so what had happened was that, uh, was that uh, I should have went to him and said, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 49% of the bar. Even though I bought it, I'll give you 49% of it. You run it and I'll continue to sell radio. Right. Right. Working partner. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you definitely learn a lot of stuff from business. We own pizza shops in the past. And, and yeah, yeah. It's, you learn and you learn quickly. Yeah. You learn very quickly and you learn that, you know, it's if it is to be, it's up to me. <laughs> you right. know? And, yeah. uh, I have so much respect. I think that's one of the reasons I did so well in, in, in sales advertising was because I could identify with business owners. Because you know, you you work, you you might work 60, 70 hours a week, and at the end of the week or at the end of the two weeks, you make payroll and you hope that, especially when you're getting going, that there's there's enough enough left for you because i yeah. i didn't take a paycheck for three years right exactly yeah that's still, that's the reality you still want to have your 10 bucks left over once everything's done <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um so you went to vancouver uh 
because of Wolf, he, you knew him before. He I knew him. Uh, yeah, he, he never handed me things, but he would give me opportunities. <laughs> so I went as the general sales manager of the radio stations in the Fraser Valley, which were outside of Vancouver, which was Abbotsford, Chilliwack. And uh, we were doing quite well. And uh, there, the, the, the opening uh, for the general sales manager at News Number 30 came up. And Wolf had taught me, if you're good at your job, you never have to apply. And uh, um, there was a, there was a package instead of a trip package that they think they're worth $25 or $30,000 each. And uh, these two little radio stations in the Valley sold 50% of them. And Wolf looked at me and he looked at the sales manager and he leaned over to my ear and said, give me a call tomorrow. I said, okay. And uh, he called me, he said, I want you to apply for the job as, as the GSM. And I didn't know if I was ready. And I said, okay. And I did. <clears throat> and he went out on a limb and he, he, he hired me. And uh, when I, and, and listen, it's all about your sales team. So it's not about when I say, when I went into the station. So I went into the station. I, I knew the vice president of Rogers. Uh, I, I, and, you know, they said, look, this, this station is is, is is losing, losing $2.3 million a year, losing every year. And within four years, five years, we were making 2.5. Nice. So we went from losing to making. Nice. And that was back, that was back in the early 2000s. Nice, so, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, and and once again, that was that was that was the sales team that I was lucky enough to put together. Right. What do you think your uh, favorite part of radio was? Did you like being on air? Did you like doing the news? Uh, what's your favorite? Part? My favorite. Uh, well, without a doubt, the favorite part is the people. It really, whether it really wasn't what I did. It was the people I was able to work with. It was the experience of working with creative people, uh, working with passionate people. Um, when you when you get into certain lines of work, people are there because they want to be there. You right. know, I can remember when uh, very early on I, I was working, uh, I was working in the oil and gas industry, and there's lots of people that do really well and they they love it. Um, I, I, I was working at a plant and, and there were a percentage, not everybody, but there was a good percentage who they, they were there because of the money. They, right. There was no other reason. And in, in broadcasting, people are there because they want to be there. They, you, right. uh, you, don't, you don't have to get up and go to work. You get to go to work. You get to go to work every day. And every day is a new experience. And every day, something positive happens. Yes, you have trying days. Yes, there are days when, you know, you can't get something done. But it is very positive. And that's, I just loved it. Totally loved it. So uh, that was my favorite part of, of my 
uh, of my career. The, the, the uh, running a close second to that would be the fact that I had a career where, and once again, this was important to me. It might be important to somebody watching this. I had the opportunity to travel and see Canada. I had the opportunity to attend major sporting events, to attend concerts, to take clients on, on, uh, on, on excursions to Hawaii, cruises, Arizona, New Orleans, New York, you know, like just all sorts of amazing things that I, I, I honestly believe I wouldn't have been able to experience. Right. right. And so just the entire broadcasting industry is just, it, it, it opens doors and, and, and uh, the passion people have, the care they have about clients. And, and, and the third thing I think I really enjoyed, especially when I got into sales, there was nothing I liked better than helping a business. And, uh, and, and sometimes, Troy, you would come up with something in your own mind. So I remember uh, a business in Southern Ontario. He was a flooring store. And he said, he said to me, he said, he said, you know, what should, what should we do? And I gave him, I said, look, uh, I said, here's what you need, but you need to really be concerned with what you say inside your commercials. So we came up with an, I don't know if it was a copyright infringement, but I came, I, I wrote the commercial and I wrote it, uh, Scotty on Star Trek. So I had a guy do the voice is talking to Jim Kirk and he's saying, he's saying, you know, the, these carpets are threadbare. We need new flooring. And then the, the other guy said, well, let's go to, this, you know, this floor store. I think it was, Jim's floor store or something. And he said, let's, you know, they have the best carpet. They have this deal and this deal and this deal. Well, his business went bang. And about two or three years later, I, I had moved on to another market and I'm driving um, down, down, down highway 401 in, in Toronto. And there's uh, outside of Toronto and, and there's billboards. And I see a billboard with a picture of the Star Trek Enterprise that new says flooring. the new flooring. And I looked at that and Troy, I just thought everything in life, everything we do, like your computer, when you're, when you're at work, when you brush your teeth, everything started with somebody's idea. Yep. And I thought, wow, that started right in here. Yeah, and now, now there's thousands of people driving by looking at this, and it just yeah. it. so that's the kind of reward you get when you're in something that you truly are passionate about and love. Yeah, that's awesome. That is amazing. Um, the you said you got to interview a lot of rock bands and stuff. What would be your favorite rock band that you interviewed? Oh favorite rock band there were there were many um, um i'm just trying to think um i 
I was excited about interviewing Van Halen. I was going to interview Eddie Van Halen. Nice. Um, um, and so I, I had a great conversation. I mean, he would remember me from Adam, but I had a great conversation right. with him. And and uh, they were act- actually played Lethbridge, where you're living right now. And I was working for a radio station there. And, and uh, I went down and they ushered me into the dressing room. And, and I sat and, and David Lee Roth was there, but I, I think David Lee had been, I don't know what he was doing, but he really wasn't there. And, and but, uh, you know, uh, that was one of my favorite about, about how he did and, 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 and what he did. So I would have to say that, like, he was one of my favorite, but there were just, there were numerous bands that came through whom, uh, in different markets that that I, I was able to interview, um, I, you know, I'm just trying to think. Uh, like I remember one of my favorite ones, which was a they didn't do too well, but just really down to earth guys. Uh, there was a, a band called Stone Bolt was really good. Oh, Stone Bolt. Um, I had a uh, uh, I had a very quick conversation with Johnny Cash. Um, I, I, I didn't, uh, uh, really have an interview. That was kind of a, that was kind of a real special, uh, time. I was working in Kitchener, Waterloo and, uh, uh, we had a country station, CKGL and Johnny Cash had played at Massey Hall and was going to play at, uh, a, a small venue called the Sanderson Center in Brantford. And the reason he was doing it was because New Country had come out and Johnny, there was a lot of people who were very loyal to Old Country. And so John, they had said to Johnny, uh, apparently, I guess, they said, you know, there's a lot of people that are out in this area who you know, would love to see you, but they can't make it in. And, and he said, well, book this. So he came out with June Carter Cash and there were tickets that were that were uh, at the radio station, and they said, "Does anybody want these?" I said, "Oh, oh who are they for?" Uh, Johnny Cash. <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, I scarfed four tickets. I think we're in about row five, and and uh, then because it was with the radio station, you know, we went, and that's how I found out why he came. Because I, you know, I said, "Wow!" I said, "This is this is a small venue," and you know, he basically. Uh, he said, well, he said, you know, I've got a special place in my heart for Canada. He said, uh, a little town up the road called London, Ontario is where I proposed to June. And I don't know if you know that. Okay. And, uh, and you know, we just chatted. So that was, it wasn't an interview, but that was a, that was a great conversation. Nice. Yeah. You mentioned you know, Stonebolt. That was one of my favorite bands when I was younger. I they, uh, they played in Fort McMurray at one of the pubs, yeah. the bars there. Yeah. And I yeah. went every night that they were there. Yeah. I actually did their uh, lights for them one time. The light guy got to yeah. sing a song. So I did their lights for them. That's my claim to fame. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> they were. They, they, they never made it that big, but they were, they were just very decent, humble human beings. I really enjoyed them. So you think those would be your uh, most down-to-earth people that you've met through that? Uh, yeah, well, I... Yeah. Well, I think, you know, uh, I'll tell you the two or three of the most down-to-earth people I, I met were uh, were uh, Lloyd Mosby from the Toronto Blue Jays, 
and uh, there, there, there were two or three others, and, and what uh, that played for the Jays. Um, uh, and, and what had happened was they would the, the Blue Jays did a caravan around Southern Ontario, you know, to begin the season. And so my client was a big sports bar, so they would come to his sports bar, and then we'd invite clients down. So I sat down, and uh, um, the two guys that really stood out, one was a broadcaster by the name of Tom Cheek, who's, who's no longer with us, and he was just a tremendous broadcaster and, and, and did broadcasting for the, for the Blue Jay games, uh, you know, right across the country, and, uh, Lloyd M Mosby, and uh, I believe Jesse Barfield was, was, was along with these all-time Jays. Oh, and 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 uh, I think Alex Fernandez, not Tony Fernandez. Alex, I can't remember what his last name was, but he was he was very young, and they just put him into shortstop. And and so, just really good guys, really, nice. really good, down-to-earth guys. And uh, you know, uh, some some of some of the managers I I, I, I spoke to, you know, uh, uh, hockey general managers. Oh, I, I will tell you this one quick story. So, my former talking about people I've run into, my former sales manager was a gentleman by the name of Mike Blake, prince of a guy, who had a cup of coffee with the Los Angeles Kings. He was Toe Blake's nephew, and so he he. You know, he he went to Ohio State. And the Kings had drafted him, but he, he you know, it just didn't last. Um, you know, when you get to that high, I mean, he was good, great sales manager. <clears throat> anyway, he got to know Marcel Dion pretty well. Nice. So, so they the, so they had there was a big alumni game in Kitchener Waterloo to raise some money, and so a lot of the a lot of the the former National Hockey League players were 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 uh, coming in to play in this game. So unbeknownst to me, Marcel wants to come up to see his old buddy Blakey. Troy, no word of a lie. And if you're older, people will get people understand this. So I walk out from the back because I'm going to go on a sales call and I walk into the foyer where our receptionist was. And standing in the foyer was Bobby Hull, Marcel Dion, Guy Lafleur and Daryl Sittler. Nice. And I just was, and this was, this is in the days before cell phones. And my jaw is just on the floor because otherwise I would have had a picture to, right? Right. And, you know, Bobby comes over and says, Bobby, how? And he, like his hand in golf's mind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I started chatting with them all. And uh, that was, that was awesome, you know. That's um, amazing. That, one of the other people that I really had a great conversation with, there was two. Uh, 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 Gordy Howe, uh, I met on two or three separate occasions because when I was in Vancouver, um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a, a tournament in, in, in Abbotsford, a band of tournament, and they called it Mr. Hockey. And Gordy Howe would come out for that tournament because I was involved at the station, you know, and we were a sponsor. I got to sit down and chat with him. Nice. So uh, I, I talked to him and then we had a big golf tournament. And at the golf tournament were some old fellas. There was Andy Bathgate and, and, and these are probably people people might not know 
anyway, so uh, Andy Bathgate, who's no longer with us. So I see Andy and I go over and I said, you know, Andy, I said, I have to tell you this quick story. I said, I was a Leaf fan and my dad used to like to, my stepdad used to like to needle me. So I'm maybe seven or eight, nine years old. And he said to me, he said, and Bathgate used to play for the Rangers. And he said, the Rangers are going to kill the Leafs tonight. He said, you wait, we'll watch the hockey game together. And in those days, you only got to see the last two periods. And, and, and so we sit down. He said, yeah, Bathgate, he's the highest scorer in the league. And that day, Bunch Imlach had traded a bunch of players for Andy Bathgate. And he suited up for the Leafs. And of course, the Leafs won the game and he scored a couple of goals. And then, so then he went in and he said, oh, I remember that day. And he talked to me about it. Like, it's just, just really cool to be able to, to meet some of those guys. Of course, there's a lot of modern players that I, you know, that, that I met too, you know, like guys I ran into, you know, like Messier. Um, uh, my bar was a stone's throw away from where Wayne Gretzky grew up. So, you know, uh, nice. Walter would Walter pop into the bar every once in a while and, and uh, you know, he and his wife for something to eat and, you know, things like that. So Nice. I went to hockey school with Mark Messier. I went to Doug oh. Messier's hockey school. Just oh, yeah. 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 That was yeah. That was another one of my brushes with fame. I think he was uh, one or two years ahead of me, though. But uh, yeah. yeah, we were all in there together. That was pretty cool. Um, so you met a lot of people. You went. You said you went on some trips and stuff with your clients. Um, yes. What were your favorite places you visited around the world? Uh, well, I. I, I, we went, uh, I love Costa Rica. I love Panama. Um, I, I, I had a couple of years ago, we had planned to go to Europe. We never took clients to Europe because that was like, we always tried to stay within about a four or five, five hour plane ride. Um, so uh, Europe, but my, my, my good friend is going to retire in the UK in a couple of years. So he said, Carrie, please wait. And then, come over and spend six months and we'll do it right. I said, oh, perfect. Okay, I'm all about that. So favorite places, um, I really loved Maui, obviously. Um, I, uh, 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 Extapa, Zewatneo, Mexico. You know, I love the Mexican Riviera and it's close. But on the other side of Mexico, um, I really enjoyed it. I went there a couple of times and I took my kids there when they were young. Uh, Extapa, uh, Tamarindo, Costa Rica, you know, um, the West End of Panama, I, I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, there was, uh, the, 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 there were places that, that, that we went, uh, uh, you know, numerous cities like Los Angeles I enjoyed. Um, uh, Tampa Bay, if you haven't been there, is awesome. <coughs> Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, very much enjoyed that. Uh, um, uh, really enjoyed uh, uh, Saint Martin, which is uh, in the in the in the uh, uh, Caribbean or Caribbean, as you're supposed to call it. So, just a number of places. I I don't know if I I actually had a favorite because every one of them, you know, I I totally enjoyed and. The best thing about going is we would go in February or March. So, you know, regardless of where you were in Canada, except when I was in Vancouver, but it was cold and rainy there, 
you know, there'd be snow on the ground. You'd get on a plane and, you know, you'd get off and, you know, it's, you'd spend a week, you know, in a, in a beautiful resort. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So let's touch a little bit on your personal life. You mentioned. Sure. So you've been married three times. Um, yes. When you adopted your children, yeah. that, was, that was with your second wife? I was with my second wife. And how that came about was, uh, uh, once again, people talk about life experiences, so we'll share. So uh, we were in Southern Ontario. Uh, we found out that uh, uh, she was having problems conceiving. Um, so we then went through the in vitro fertilization program um, about three times, cost a pile of money, and uh, didn't work. And, and of course, technology's come a long way since then. But, um, and uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, I'm 40 years old by this time, and she was uh, five years younger than me. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm saying, look, you know, I don't want to be 65 with a teenager, which, you know happen and 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 so we looked at domestic adoption and in Ontario there was absolutely zero kids there there were no children to adopt like there were um, so uh, unless you knew somebody and and then tried the private adoption that didn't work and uh, and and then she um, she you know I said to her look you know you've got kind of 12 months because I you know like we have to have a bit of a timeline on this and so then she started looking into international adoptions and she came to me and said look she said we can go to Russia we can go to Belize we can go to Romania uh, we can go to China and I said well give me the details and with China you were dealing with the government Everything else was private. And so I thought, well, if you're dealing with the government, I think that's the safest route. So at the same time, there was an article in McLean's magazine about a lady who had gone to China from Ottawa. And she, uh, so my client, uh, my client was, you know, we were just chatting and, and my client was asking me, you know, about, do I have any kids, you know, and I just shared a little bit, not too much. So he went and got this article. I gave him the magazine. I took it home, showed it to my wife. She phoned. I came home the next day and she said, there's a meeting uh, this Saturday in Ottawa. Could we go? You know, and it was called the Children's Bridge. So I said, okay. So... We, it was about, I don't know, it was about a four or five hour drive from Kitchener-Waterloo where we lived. So we get to, uh, we go there and, you know, we're checking the hotel and everything. And and, and they, 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 a meeting was in a church basement, Troy. So we get there and there's about, there's about 20, 20 other people. And one of the guys who I got, I still, we're still, I'm still friends with. Uh, his name was Perry, and he was a retired Toronto cop. He was 58. Why he wanted to have a kid there, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so Perry's about Perry's about six six, big guy. So Perry's there, and and I'm a little skeptical. And so this 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 uh, woman walks in. Her name is Linda. I can't remember what her last name was. And she walks in and says, she says. And understand that people who have been through infertility, it's, you're on your own. Nobody cares. 
it's very difficult. And she walks in and hears couples, many of the females have been trying to have kids for five, some of them for 15 years. And she said, if you sign with me, if you sign and give us a deposit today, in nine months, you will have a baby girl. And then she brings in her Chinese daughter who is about five or six by then. <clears throat> of course, everybody's crying, you know, like, right. and I'm looking around, I'm looking around thinking, this is a scam. <laughs> and so I look over at Perry, whom I don't know anybody in the room, and I'm looking at all these guys, you know, with tears in their eyes, and I'm thinking, oh, come what? Like, have you people never, like, what is this? And I look at Perry, and I, I kind of look at him, catch his eye, and I shake my head. He looks at me, and he goes, he kind of rolls his eyes. <clears throat> so my wife says, well, you know, I, I think we should try this. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want a bit, you know, I want a nice ride back to Kitchener's, though. It's worth 500 bucks, so I wrote a check for 500, thinking, okay, you know, that's, 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 that, there's an hour out of my life and 500 bucks will never get back. And so she gives it to her. Well, to, to speed things up, Troy, eight and a half months later, we're on a plane. Toronto to Vancouver, Vancouver to Beijing. And everything's in place. Like there was, there was all, there was paperwork, there was dossiers, there was everything. And, and, you know, you had to deal with the, uh, you had to deal with the Children's Aid Society, which handled adoptions in Ontario, and you had to deal with the Chinese government, you know, and then they said, you know, I can remember them saying, okay, you need to make a donation of, I think it was about 3,000 US to the orphanage. Um, it cost about 25K all told at that time. And, uh, oh, and by the way, the director of the orphanage, you know, it's, it's nice, like the Chinese, to present a gift. So we say, hey, let's take a bottle of Crown Royal. I bet you the guy loved that. <laughs> and he loved us. He loved us. Anyway, so... Uh, but that's what happened. And, and uh, so we flew to China and of course it was awesome, you know, and, uh, and when I was there, we had, you know, whatever you get a group of people traveling, I would, I didn't care if I got, they said, watch what you eat. Cause you'll get sick. I didn't care. I was going to experience the culture. So I ate everything. And somebody, a doctor had said to me, the purest thing you can drink when you're in another country is beer because it's pasteurized so it's the Ch chinese beer is really good and it's it's light so that's i drink beer with every meal <laughs> including breakfast <laughs> and uh i just had a great time and you know when people would ask me they'd say oh carrie what's that and i knew if i said i knew if i said chicken or if i knew if i said beef you know they eat it all so i'd right. say fish <laughs> everything I was, you know so they wouldn't eat it anyway so um we stayed, they then took us from, from Beijing. They flew us to Nanjing. And if anybody ever, has ever seen the John Wayne movie, The Flying Tigers, about uh, the city of Nan, Nan, Nanking, well, it's renamed Nanjing. That was the city that was based in. And then it was a two hour drive about halfway to Shanghai, a city about 400,000 people called Yangzhou. And that's where the orphanage was. Nice. So we were staying. We were staying in a in a hotel, which was quite luxurious by 
by Chinese standards at that time. And uh, this is about 1997, I think, 1996, 1996. And uh, I'm walking, and the store actually did a story. I, I, I'm, I, they were, we weren't expecting the, the, the babies for another two or three hours. And I'm walking down the halls in front of the, there was, there was 10 couples all staying on one floor on the 10th floor. And the, the, the elevator opens and there's five, ten nan, five in each elevator. There's 10 nannies get off and each one of them holding a little girl. Huh. And, and you're, sent, you're sent a picture beforehand and you're told don't fall in love with the picture at that time because your baby not, may not be alive when you get there. Right. And they try to match everything up. Anyway, it, the, the Chinese were excellent people. Uh, it, it, everything went really smooth. And, uh, you know, they and, and our, our daughter, who's 25 now, um, had, I guess she had a bit of a cold, so they'd given her a bunch of codeine. So she's very calm and everything. I'm thinking, wow, this is great. Well, <clears throat> when the codeine wears off, she starts to wail and then she's hungry. So my wife at the time was, you know, I had four brothers and sisters and you would know this, uh, as did you. And so we had to look after them when they were little because I was the second oldest. So she said, I don't know why she's crying. She said, she, she won't, like I've tried to feed her and she just spits it out. And, and I said, well, here, give me the bottle. And then, so I go like this because that's more. And I said, this is, this is cold. She said, well, the book says room temperature. I said, don't listen to the book. Listen to somebody that's been there. I said, you know, my mom. So I put it in the microwave and I, I heat it up a bit. Boom takes it goes down so um so we came back with her and uh you know neither one of us really wanted a single child but you know i, I wasn't sure and when and uh, so the ladies at canada trust call me and they say oh mr greenley yeah uh, your your loan is ready i said what loan well your wife mentioned that maybe you know Kira, that's my daughter's name, would need a, would need a, would need a sibling. So we thought we'd help. <laughs> so, oh, great. You know, anyway, so, uh, so I went in and, and uh, so the Toronto Star had done a story on us and it had gone across the country. And uh, so they, and we were helping other people adopt because there, there, nobody knew how to do this. This was right on the ground floor. And there were so many, and China was only about six or eight months away, but after our story came out, adoptions went from eight months to two years. Really? And uh, oh, yeah, there was just a huge influx, especially from Ontario. So they, we were looking at going again, and they said, well, because you know of, of your notoriety and who you are, we can maybe get you in faster, unless you wanted to go to Vietnam. Now, I've already told you and people watching this, <clears throat> you know, I'm a little adventurous. I said, well, we've already been to China. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so they said, Vietnam's starting to open up. So then we contacted an organization in Montreal uh, called Terre des Hommes, which means friend of man. And they're an aid organization, but they also did some adoptions. So we went to Montreal, stayed overnight, went in and met them. And they said, well, would you like a boy or a girl? And in China, you can only adopt girls. 
Right. And and uh, I said, oh, we have a choice. I said, well, you know, sure, a boy would be fine. I said, great, you, you've just been moved up six months because most people don't want to adopt boys like you and I, Troy, because we're trouble. And uh, <clears throat> eight and a half months later, um, we once again, lots of dossiers, lots of paperwork, uh, you know, and, and we had to pay people. So eight and a half months later, we were on uh, we were on an airplane and we flew from Toronto to Anchorage, Anchorage to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong to Saigon. Nice. And uh, then we were in Vietnam for two weeks, and uh, uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, once again, we weren't supposed to uh, get the babies for another two days. And what they did was the government was a little more buttoned down in Vietnam. Even though we were dealing through the government, they were always concerned about attracting attention. So uh, the babies were put on, were the, they put the babies on the backs of motorcycles, but they all took different routes to the hotel and they showed up early. But let me just back up for one, one second. So my, my, my son, uh, the story is he was born. Uh, he was born up near the North Vietnamese border. Now they told us he was born in a place called Tay Ninh, which is right on the Cambodian border. And my son, uh, the, the story that we got, which was unofficial, that he was born uh, out of wedlock, left with some Catholic nuns at a nunnery. It was in a province that they didn't allow their babies to leave, to anybody to leave. So he was smuggled out and smuggled into this orphanage. And what Teradizam did was every group, and our group was no different, every group, if they could, they put a doctor with who was adopting. And so there was a doctor in the former group who said, who went in, and, and he was in an orphanage in Tainin. And, and the doctor looked at him and he was tiny, Troy, like he was really tiny. And the doctor said, if you don't get this kid into Saigon, because the difference in, in, in care in, in the rural regions is unbelievable in, 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 in right. those countries. And so they charged us an extra hundred bucks US, which was nothing, and took him in. And there was a, there was a nanny there and she didn't leave him. He, he didn't leave her hip for three months and she nursed him and he was in, he was healthy when, when we got him very tiny, but healthy. So anyway, so they put them all on the back uh, on these motorcycles and they bring them. There's three babies. There's only three, <coughs> excuse me. And they bring them from different routes. And then they call us and they say, can you come down to room 322? We go down there. And there's the three babies. And that's when the handover came. Yeah. So there was a, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of tears and everything. And, and, and it was really, it was really difficult because this nanny had very become very attached to my son, Quinn, who's Quinn's 23 now. And uh, so everything's good. And we take him upstairs and immediately like, because he'd been spoken Vietnamese too, you know, he was only five months old, but you get used to things. Well, we smelled different. We sounded different. He was in a strange place. 
And I tell, I tell him, and he just laughs. I said, you were the most high-maintenance guy on the planet. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he, uh, he, he uh, um, well, everything went well. And, and we, you know, we, we had to stay later than the group because there was something wrong with the Ontario government's paperwork and we had to get this piece of paper to be able to, to legally get him out of the country. And the longest flight I've ever had, Troy, was from Hong Kong to Toronto, 15 and a half hours and the plane was packed. And I had a, I had a wailing baby on my lap for nine of those hours. <laughs> So that was very cool. So um, yeah, we really enjoyed that. And then uh, there was uh, one other experience that I'll quickly share was that there was a there was a, a young boy. His name was Kien, K I E N. And Teradazam contacted me, and he uh, his father had been had been had lost an arm in in the Vietnam War. And so Kian was about six or seven years old. They lived in the rural area um, and were very, very poor. And he would make, uh, he, he cut hair with his one arm and he made about six dog a month. So that might be, that might be $3 a month. Like, and this kid really wanted to go to school. You know, nobody, nobody has, nobody had any money, and so they couldn't give him a book. He had, to, so what he would do was he would, he would find old pieces of paper and he would copy out in pencil the textbook and read it so he could learn. So, Teresaon came to me and they said. You know, look, Carrie, we need somebody to sponsor this kid. And listen, I'm not saying this because I'm a great guy or anything. Anybody would have done this. Anybody. <laughs> and I said, uh, 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 they said, well, how much, you know, and I, I, you know, I said, well, how much is it? He said, well, it's 25 US a month. And I said, well, how about I give you 50 and you can make sure that there's food for him and his family. Nice. And they, and they said, well, you know, if we get more than that, we'd like to include another kid. I said, you can do this. But I said, you know, if everybody does a little part, and this I knew, you know, you have all these organizations that say, here, you'll sponsor this kid. But, you know, you have no clue what's going to administration. I knew these people intimately. Right. And and, and I, I was dealing with the executive director. And, and I said, look, just let me do this. And she said, okay. Anyway, he's an engineer now. Nice, nice. You keep contact with him? Uh, no, not really. Uh, he sent, uh, uh, they didn't, like he sent us a letter, a thank you letter, but he was kind of on his, on his own. And Teradazam uh, uh, wanted to make sure that, that we didn't, uh, like he didn't feel that he owed anybody anything. Okay. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah. they're very humble people anyway. So uh, he, you know, they felt it. So he sent him a thank you, beautiful thank you letter. And, uh, you know, after that, listen, you, you, all I wanted out of the whole thing was you'd be the best you can be. 
right? And, yeah. you know, that's, that's awesome. So, and, and both of my kids are, <clears throat> my daughter's 25 years old now. She, um, uh, typical young lady, you know, dad doesn't know anything. It doesn't matter where you start. <laughs> and uh, she uh, is in her final year. It took her a while to figure things out, but she's, she has now. So she's in her final semester uh, of getting her teaching degree. She has her Bachelor nice. of Arts and getting her teaching degree. And she's actually been interviewing uh, internationally uh, for some teaching positions because, you know, with the, the economy here in Alberta and with, with, with COVID, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, things are difficult. So, uh, she, she's always volunteered and, and, and has a, you know, uh, has coaching certificates. So, uh, there was inter, she, she had an interview f with a school in Casablanca and Morocco, you know, and right. I said, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, in Hong Kong and in the United Kingdom and in Qatar. So, you know, I said to her, I said, you know, you know, when you're young, now's the time to do this kind of thing. Like, so, and then my, and, yeah, and my son is 23, and he graduated uh, in 2020 also, and uh, he is just looking to article for his uh, accounting designation, and then nice. uh, we'll see what he does from there. So, you know, um, I just share that because I think, you know, um, you know, people talk about these big, massive programs that that people can do, and you know what? F find out how you can help. And I didn't do this to help. I did this to be selfish. I wanted to be a father. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and then do something to make a difference in somebody's life. As I used to say to the, to, to the girls and the young boys when I coached them, you know, in hockey and in soccer, if you do all the little things right, the big things will happen automatically. Right, right. Anyway. So so growing up and playing sports, what did uh, what was one of the biggest lessons you learned from your coaches? Um, I would have to say that it, it's 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 that uh, the first thing one of the first things was, and I see this when I see people who are like sports and they say I I hate this team or I hate that team. I think one of the first things I learned that really stuck with me was respect your opponent. Because if you're playing sports, if you don't have an opponent, there's no game. Right, right. So re respect your opponent. And, you know, when somebody loses, like, uh, uh, I don't know when people will be watching this, but a couple of nights ago, Team Canada Juniors lost to the USA. And, you know, both teams left everything out there they had. And they're 16 to 19-year-old kids. You know, they went out and experienced. And I think one of the biggest things I learned about, when you go out and, and, and you compete, you do your best, and you're not going to win every game. And it's the same in life. You're not going to win all the time. But if you lose, you, you don't beat yourself up. You say, okay, what could I have done better here? What could I have done better there? And maybe you did the best you could. Maybe you just wound up against somebody who was better than you. And that's another great lesson in life, you know? No matter how tough you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you think you are, there's always somebody that's done better. And that's not to take anything away from you, you know? Right. But those are the learning experiences, too. You learn from that and... Make yourself better. Put like yourself you out there. Absolutely. What can I change, right? 
Well, and, 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 you know, like get in the game, get out there and compete, get in the game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, what was your, so through all your radio career, your, your personal life and your family, what do you think was your most memorable learning lesson through your life? Oh, that's a great question. And that's a real hard question. I don't think there was just one. Um, there's the old saying that when you're 20 years old, you have all the answers. When you're 50 years old, you realize you don't have any of the answers. So I think probably the, probably the, 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 the greatest lesson somebody can have is, uh, is, uh, it is, it is uh, I'm just waving to my, my neighbor walking by there. <clears throat> uh, the, the greatest lesson anybody can have is, 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 is that just constantly learn, lifelong learning. So, you know, if there's one, if there's one lesson, it's, it's that nobody has it all figured out. Nobody. And, you know, I, I would have to say just, just like life goes by so fast, you know, just ex experience all you can, you know, um, there's tons of them, you know, and like if you keep moving, like if you sit there and you think about something and you think about it, you, you take action. Right. You never, you know, you, you, you never... You, you, you never get anything done unless you take action. And by the way, a lot of us, most of us, many of us have, have limiting beliefs. You say, oh, I can't do that. There's that little voice in your head, oh, I can't do that. Well, the way to defeat limiting belief is through confidence. And the way to gain confidence is to take action. If you right. take action and do things, that gains confidence. Confidence defeats limiting beliefs. You know? Nice. So, look, right having uh, all these things I say, you know, and somebody's watching, I have made every mistake you can make, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I say, and, 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 and you know, I, I know you were talking about, you know, marriages. Listen, I was very, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I was 60 years old. I had gone through an extremely messy divorce, uh, cost me a ton of money. And, I was not going to get married again. And I was very fortunate that I wasn't looking. I, I met an amazing, just an amazing woman. Nice. Who, who, you know, we decided to get married. And I always say to her, it took me 60 years to find you. <laughs> it took me 60 years to learn. You know, you can, you can be assured that, that this is it. <laughs> Well, sometimes the right one just comes along, right? Absolutely. Sometimes they come along when you're 25 and sometimes they come along when you're 65. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, earlier on you mentioned, so you had your bar and you mentioned that you owned three businesses. So what were your other ventures? Um, I owned, when I, when I first got in, in, into radio, um, of course they were, you know, 
you you made starvation wages because you know there's there's 20 kids wanted the job you got you know so, um and uh, so uh in order to supplement my income i bought a and uh, this was this was a this is when when disco was big <clears throat> so i bought a dance machine from one of the other D djs who wanted out called the the 1090 check keep on dancing disco and so um we treated that like a business and i oh it was lucrative it was lucrative troy nice um what i can remember and this is back in the late 70s so once again, this is in Lethbridge. So I don't even know if it's there now, but there, I would rent the exhibition pavilion in Lethbridge. I would get, uh, I would get free, um, I would get free um, uh, advertising because there was no promotion department at the radio station. So what I would do is I'd say, oh, this is a big 1090 check promotion. You guys don't worry about it. Just let me run advertising. And I would run a 60-second commercial every hour from 6 to midnight. Well, that's when all the young kids were listening. Right. Then I would offer every announcer at the radio station 50 bucks cash, which was a lot of money to them, if they would come down and do a, a half-hour stint on stage. And then we would put on this big dance with all of the radio announcers. And, of course, and I would charge three bucks to get in. And it used to cost me about uh, $1,000 to rent the exhibition pavilion. And it was a lot of money in those days, $1,000 to rent. Another couple hundred bucks to, for security. And so all told, it might cost me fourteen dollars or $1,500. I'd sell twelve to 1,500 tickets. Nice. I'd stick $3,000 in my jeans and walk away. <laughs> like, how good was that? Right. So anyway, so that was what that 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 was that, that was a great business. Uh, I, I, I moved on from that. How long uh, did you do I, that one for? I did that for about three years. Nice. And uh, you know, and then it was time to you know, like I said, then I left Lethbridge and went east. Was it like um, a monthly thing, or did you do it like every week, oh no, we, every weekend? Well, we did. Well, that that was just we school dances. We would do weddings. Okay. We would, and, and, and we charged, we charged way more than anybody else did. But that's because, I mean, I was a personality on the air. The guys that were helping me worked at the radio station who needed money. So I would pay them cash, you know, and, and, and my wife at the time worked in a bank. So she kept all the books. So like we did, it was lucrative. We did nice. like, we were busy pretty well every weekend. Nice. Like Friday and Saturday nights. Um, I had a partner at the time, and that's where I learned that a, a, a partnership is the hardest ship to sail. Right. Yep. So anybody watching, remember that. And uh, so then um, after that, um, uh, you know, like I, I had bought the bar. And then when I was out in, in, in British Columbia, you know, I, I, there was a, there was a guy that I knew um, who had a number of payroll loans. Um, and I, I didn't really like the business, but he talked me into buying a franchise. And I went to a guy who had been kicked out by the banks and said, look, 
you run this and in two or three years, I'll just sell it to you and, and it'll be yours. And I did that for a short while. Um, but I, I just didn't, I, I got out of it pretty quickly because I, it just, it just didn't sit right with me. It just wasn't, it just, it wasn't what you made money, but it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of business I, I wanted to be in. So right. I, I, I got, I got rid of that. I, I, I took a bit of a loss to get out of it just cause I, even though it was making money, I, I just, I, I just, it just wasn't. I didn't want to be associated with it. Right. Definitely there's things in your life that uh, go against your morals, go against your... Absolutely. Your, yep. and, you know, yeah. your and, and I didn't realize, I didn't realize at the time when I got into it exactly, you know, and then I looked at this and I said, you know what, this, this is, to me, I was taking advantage of people and I, so I, I, I actually, I actually closed it. Yeah. 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 Right on. If you could go back and change one thing through your life, what would it be? Another excellent question. Um, you know, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed everything. Um, it, it, it would probably, I don't think there's any one thing once again. Um, it would probably be that, that uh, the one thing I, I think I would really change is that I would, I would listen. Uh, there were situations, especially when I was in management, that I, I, I would listen more and make sure I had all the facts and information before I, I I made a decision that had an effect on people's lives. That's the, the, the one thing I would say, you know, just make sure that, that, that you have all your facts right, you know, before, before reacting to a situation. Right. Because sometimes, and we've all done that, you know, you something will happen and you look back and say, I would read, uh, you know, what was I thinking? Or I, I think I would have handled that a little differently. Right. So that was, that's probably the big thing. <clears throat> okay. So a couple, couple little random questions before we go. Um, sure. Picture yourself in a field, big meadow, a door in yep. front of you. Yep. What's on the other side of your door? At this point in my life, is is that what the question is? I'm, I don't really understand it. How, how, however, you want to perceive it. If if you were standing okay. out there looking at this door, what would yep. be on the other side of your door? I really don't know. Um, it could be more of the same. I I would say more adventure and more experience, and I would definitely walk through the door. Nice. There there would be. There would be more. There would be more experiences. There would be more adventure, and I would, uh, you know, my whole point would be, you know, keep moving. Like athletes say, you always want to be leaning forward because if you lean backwards, then the people behind you catch up. You want to be right. leaning forward. Yeah, right on, right. On. 
Oh, I just lost your voice. I just lost your voice, Troy. Um, can't hear you, my friend. Can't hear you. Just one second. I don't know why. Is it you or is it me? We'll have to edit this. Um, oh, there you are. Are you back? I heard you there for a second. There, now I can hear you again. Okay, there we are. A little bit of Sorry. technology. <laughs> yeah. If you were stuck on a desert island all by yourself, right. you had a device yes. with you, but it could only play one song over and over. So being in the radio career, you would know a lot about that. What would be your one song yeah. that it would play? Oh. Probably Twisting the Night Away by Rod Stewart. It's an old Sam Cooke tune. Nice. And uh, by the way, for people watching this or even for yourself, um, it, you know, uh, Sam Cooke had, had uh, uh, such an influence on Rod Stewart, the Rolling Stones. I believe he had an influence on the Beatles. You know, he was such a tremendously talented guy and unfortunately back in the uh, in the 50s there were you know there, there were so many black guys who 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 just were you know they didn't get their due because right. of the way people thought back then but he was he, you know there's there so many of them who are just so talented you know like um, so I think that you know, like he—he's just he like he wrote. You send me. He wrote. Uh, he 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 wrote. Uh, Bring it on home. You know, I don't know if any of those are familiar to you. He wrote "Twisting the Night Away." You know, I think he nice. wrote "Saturday Night." You know, just songs that other guys have done covers for that are just incredible. Nice. Awesome. So that would be the song. Twist in the night away, just because it lifts me up. Like if I'm, you know, sometimes you're blah, you right? Know, I'll just go on YouTube, and I'll I'll just click it on. It's the theme song to Inner Space, uh, the movie Inner Space with nice. Dennis Quaid. Nice. You know, it's just it's just a great tune. Right on. If you could write a letter to your younger self, what age would it be, and what would you say to yourself? Um. Uh, well, I, I think I probably started to figure things out when I was 20 years old. So I would write a letter to myself when I was 20. And the letter would say, everything you want to do, you're going to be able to do. Everything that you're thinking about right now, you're going to touch. So don't worry. Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't be insecure. Don't let what anybody says about you define you. Just be in the moment. Experience. Because what a lot of us do, Troy, is we numb ourselves. 
and we numb ourselves because we're in or we're in a situation that might be difficult so we get through it by 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 dropping into a little zone inside of our heads until it's done right. rather than to say i'm going to experience this this might be uncomfortable but i'm going to experience this and nice. you know and and i'd end it by saying you know look you know think things through but don't be afraid to make mistakes right like if you make a mistake you know move on right. uh, and i'll leave you with a thought I, I, I i've i said to my kids the mark of a truly successful human being is the person who gets up and keeps moving because no matter who you are no matter who you are in life, something's going to come out of left field and it's going to knock you right down. And you're not going to be expecting it, regardless of what it is, death, divorce, financial problems, whatever it is. Sometime in life, that's going to happen. No matter how well you think you're doing, it's going to happen. And the mark is somebody who stands up and says, okay, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to take time to grieve. I'm going to, you know, job loss or whatever. I'm going to take time to understand. I'm going to take time, but I'm not going to curl up in a ball and feel sorry for myself. I'm right. going to keep moving. Right. Nice. Okay. Final question. Um, thanks for the interview, by the way, it's, it's been great talking with you and shared a lot My of pleasure. great insight into your life and stuff. So final question, if Kerry Greenlee makes it through his whole life, learns everything he's ever wanted to, accomplished everything, you know, had tons of experiences, but when he passes on, nothing of his memory is left behind here except for three lessons for life. What would those three things you would leave for future generations be? Well, the first thing, is what I just talked about. When you get knocked down, get up and keep going, no matter what it is. So that would be lesson, that would be lesson number one. I think lesson number two would be, enjoy the moment, be in the moment. Don't, don't think about, and I, uh, I'm sure you've heard this. There's there's that little vignette about the station where people are so concerned about getting to their destination. The destination is the journey. Right. So enjoy right. the journey. Enjoy. Be in the moment. <clears throat> don't think about the future. For God's sakes, don't reminisce about the past and about your mistakes because you can't change it. It doesn't do anything. So, you know, and what's the old, what's, what, what's the stat? 85% of all worry is useless because it never happens anyway. So the second thing would be in the moment. And the third would be commit to lifelong learning. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to go to school every day. Just commit to lifelong learning. Like if, if, if you see something, you know, and you're there, Try to learn from it, you know, and, and, you know, there's times where like, that doesn't mean you're constantly, oh, I got to learn from this, I got signals. It's just, you know, like when you go to bed at night, first of all, think about three things you're grateful for. 
Nice. Right. Because people don't think people are grateful enough for what we do have. And then think, well, okay, what if, what did I learn today? What did I, you know, what did I experience today that I can take away? You know, nice. so I would say the third lesson would be commit to lifelong learning. So uh, read a book a month, buddy. Read a book was, a month. I was going to bring that up. So that, I mean, that would be part of your lifelong learning. Everything you read. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, they, you know, I, I know that many years ago they did a study of they, that the, the, the professors at Harvard University, the smartest university in the land, did a study and asked people, asked graduates how many books they'd read since you know, and this was like 20 years after the, these are the smartest people in the land. And, and the average that a person had read was the only three books. Really? That's crazy. So if you, but you'll be shocked at how many people don't, you'll be shocked at how many people don't do some, some, some form of exercise. No, I get that some people can't totally understand that. But there's always something you can do, but you know, like a, a book a month, might be 10 minutes a day if that. Right. You know, so right. if you don't like to read and you just say, okay, I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to read this and I'm going to absorb it. So lots of times we read and we don't absorb. So go back and read it again. Yeah. And we have so much available to us now. <clears throat> there's podcasts, there's audio books, there's, there's all kinds of things. Um, I was telling you about uh, uh, different podcasts I listen, and they're just you know they're excellent. And you pick up ideas from them, and you say, "Oh, I'll adapt that." There's a good idea, right? That's what I keep looking at: is all the little things out there that I can use in my life. And Absolutely, that's and, that's and there's you're totally right. That there's the old. I'm not old, but there's that saying is, as as I was taught, and then I passed on because I got it from somebody else. If you do all the little things right, and you're consistent, like you're not going to see anything tomorrow. I used to tell people in advertising, listen, advertising is like going to the gym and working out. If you go to the gym and work out once, you're going to be achy, you're going to be sore, and you're going to be unhappy. And if you never go back, you've wasted your time. So I would say to guys, if you're going to advertise for a week, save your money. Don't even talk to me. But if you go to the gym every day and you commit for a year, I'm not saying advertise for a year, but you commit. In three and a half months, you're going to say, wow, I, I feel better. I look better. Wow, this is pretty cool. But it, it takes self-discipline. And you've got to conquer that little voice in your head that says, you know what, Troy? Don't... Don't don't exercise today. It's, it's okay to like skip. Yeah, I don't feel like it. You know what? Just you know, pour yourself a beer and sit on the couch and you know and, and watch a movie. Right. You, you know. Um, so th those are like if you do all the if you do the little things. So if you did, and uh, when we get back to you know to reading, you know, if if you read a book a month, do you think you know more in twelve months than you do today? Right. Do you think you might be a little smarter? Exactly. Handle situations better. Yeah, exactly. Yep. No, that's, those are great lessons to live by for sure. It's been a pleasure having you on, Carrie. I enjoy 
chatting with you. We'll get together and chat again. Um, thanks again. And I hope the people watching got some insight from this and uh, maybe we can chat again, you know, later on. And Absolutely. My pleasure. Maybe I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, that'll be awesome. I need to interview you one of these days. There you That's go. great. There you go. Do a reverse right. interview. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, You're thanks welcome. for joining us, people. This has been Lessons for Life podcast. Join us again for another episode. Thank you.